This is an ABC podcast. Before we start, just a warning. This is a story about the abuse and neglect surrounding the deaths of young children. It contains graphic and confronting content. So listen with care. And please, look after yourself. It's Saturday, November 23, 2019. And there's chaos at a small cream fibro cottage in Waterford West, south of Brisbane. Ambulance vans have parked hastily in the driveway and police are swarming around the house. Inside are two lifeless little bodies. Two-year-old Darcy Helen and one-year-old Chloe Ab. They've died after being left in their mother's car. Neighbours watch on, confused. Danny, my granddaughter, and Gypsy come running out and said, she's drowned the kids next door. When the ambulance carried the babies out to the ambulance, um, you could clearly see they were deceased. They were soaking wet. That's why we assumed they'd been drowned. We didn't know they'd been in the car. Earlier that morning, Kerri-Ann had returned from a night out and walked into the house, leaving the girls in the car. That was just after 4am. It's now almost 2pm, and it's a stifling hot 33-degree day. Carrie ann is sitting on the front step. She said, where are they taking my babies? Where are they taking my babies? But she wasn't hysterical or anything like that. She wasn't in hysterics or anything like you would be. Darcy's dad, Peter Jackson, is there too. He rushed to the house after a panicked phone call from Carrie ann and tried to resuscitate the girls before the ambulance arrived. The adrenaline is still pumping as the paramedics walk up to him. And said, no, that's it. They've passed away. And that was it. I just... It fell apart. At that moment, I felt like I was the only person on the planet. Everything went quiet. I live that day every day. It's, it's still like it happened yesterday. I know I'm going to have that for the rest of my life. Police take Peter away for questioning. On their way to the station, they pull up outside the house of Peter's mum, Deanne. She's about to hop in the shower. And Bill came in and he said, babe, he said, don't get in the shower. He said, the police are here with Peter. And I said, why, what's wrong? So I got dressed and I went out. And when I seen Peter, I just looked at him and I went, what have you done, mate? And he goes, Mum, I haven't done anything. He said, the girls are gone. I said, oh, you mean child safety's come to get them? And he goes, no, Mum, she killed them. And I went, oh, no, not my Darcy. And I just broke down. And, yeah, and then um, even the police officer that came with Peter, she was crying. They stand in the doorway, uncomprehending. Peter is inconsolable. Um, He was just like a mess. He was, 
he couldn't stand still. He was just pacing and, and just cried. And I went to hug him and he didn't want me touching him. He walked away from me, backed away from me. And, yeah, it was a horrible thing for a mother to see her son like that. Just want my girls back. And I see the pain in Peter every day. This is the second episode of our special two-part investigation into the deaths of Darcy and Chloe. In the first episode, the family spoke about their desperate pleas for help to the Department of Child Safety. This week, we hear from inside that department and reveal how multiple failures and missed opportunities put the girls in danger and contributed to their deaths. Darcy's dad, Peter, is in a stark room at Logan Central Police Station. It's the afternoon of November 23, and he's been brought in for questioning. I had to start from day one, the day I met her, and tell them everything in detail. I was there good 12, 13 hours, plus I'd been awake since midnight the night before. Peter's mother, Deanne, and sister, Kelly, arrive at the station to make their statements. The media were there and they were filming us and Kelly asked them not to. And by that stage, we'd heard a report on the radio and TV that Peter was a junkie as well. And Kelly just went up to them and said, you can get that off your recordings because my brother is not a junkie. And I said, and you can turn the cameras off. I said, just leave us alone. Inside, detectives are trying to piece together what happened in the lead-up to the girls' deaths. He asked me if I had any concerns about the girls before this, and I said yes, and we'd reported it to child safety. That night, Carrie-Anne's charged with two counts of murder with reckless indifference to human life. She's the first person in Queensland to face the new offence. The state government had introduced it six months earlier, after a series of child deaths caused by abuse and neglect. The next day, Peter's called back into the station. I had to go back again and I was there for another five, six hours to prove that I was up north at the time. Yeah, so it was a, it was a quite a lengthy process. As he's questioned, Peter's torment continues to grow. You've always got the, the what-ifs or, you know, what if I had of questions. And I asked one of the, the detectives, um, what if I had been an hour earlier? What if I had got there at 10 o'clock instead of going home first? Then a detective pulls out footage collected from CCTV cameras fitted on the outside of Kerry-Ann's house. And that's when they, he showed me the little snippets of her getting home at 4.30 in the morning and her being the only one that got out of the car. Kerri-Ann had previously told him the girls had only been in the car for an hour. It turns out they'd been left there for more than nine. So it wouldn't have made a difference whether I got there at 10 o'clock because it was already 
30 odd degrees at 8 o'clock in the morning and the car was black. The death of these two young girls is an absolute tragedy. Um, I was heartbroken when I heard about it. I think everybody would be in exactly the same position. It's been two days since the deaths of Chloe and Darcy. News is spreading that the family is known to the Department of Child Safety. And the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, announces that the Queensland Family and Child Commission will investigate the department's handling of the case. Any recommendations that will come out of that, the government will absolutely implement. It's national news, and journalists are chasing Peter for comment. Newspapers, social media, it's, it is everywhere. It's in your face. You can't get away from it. And, you know, to have media turn up on your doorstep with a camera in your face, yeah, that's pretty full on. Peter is in a fog. But one question starts to come sharply into focus. Why weren't the girls removed from Carrie Ann's care, given all the warnings in the lead up to their deaths? They should have just walked straight in there, removed the girls, and then investigated. Then done their drug tests and done this and done that. But they didn't. They didn't. So the exact fear that you had when you made those reports to child safety came true? Became reality, yep. We're talking about the agency tasked with protecting children in this state. Did they fail Darcy and Chloe? Yeah, they're not here. They um, failed them. They haven't just failed Chloe and Darcy, but, you know, there's other kids there. You know, how many more times do we have to see this sort of thing? They're supposed to be a backup to protect these kids. But if the backup's failing, what happens then? We're just going to watch them all die? Peter's mother, Deanne, is also furious that child safety didn't remove the girls from Carrie Ann. To me... It's their fault as, as well as the mothers. They are to blame because they have done this. They've let my grandchildren down and they've let my son down. And there's no excuse for it. Carrie ann had been working with the Department of Child Safety, but in mid-2018 she refused their help and they closed her case. That didn't stop reports coming in about Carrie anns neglect and drug use. There was someone feeding anonymous information to child safety, telling them that Darcy and Chloe were in danger. That person was Carrie Ann's sister, Kirsty. What were you reporting? That she was doing drugs near the girls, and and then I tried to report to Police Link, thinking that if she got done with drugs, that something would have to be done. So I'd report her house as being a drug house. I would report her car as known transport for picking up and receiving drugs or dropping off. I did that at least twice a week for six weeks. It's the first time Kirsty's opening up about making these reports. 
Back in mid-2019, she also gave child safety a dire warning that Carrie ann had left baby Chloe in the car for hours overnight. That she said she'd left the kid in the car and fallen asleep. And I just wanted them to go do a welfare check because I got told some pretty bad stuff. She says there was ample opportunity for the department to step in to protect her nieces. You know, if somebody just had listened, Peter would have Darcy at least and Chloe would be in custody or they might have even given her to Peter as well to keep the sisters together and that they'd still be alive. So what happened to the family's reports? And why was Carrie anns case closed? To answer those questions, I really need to talk to someone who knows about the case. Someone from inside the Department of Child Safety. Speaking out is fraught with risk, so it's hard to find anyone willing to talk. That's until I track down Alexandra Bosco. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Alexandra's in her early 30s with long black hair and light blue eyes. <laughs> she was Carrie Ann and Darcy's child safety officer for six months leading up to July 2018. She tells me the deaths of Darcy and Chloe shook her to the core. I was definitely shocked and went through a grieving process for the children, the family, and mum as well. I felt like I was significantly affected. She began to doubt herself and question her ability to help families. I had such high anxiety going into families' homes and helping out with their children. I felt as if I didn't have the right to work with these families because it would just lead into negative outcomes for children. So whenever I would step foot in a family's house and provide information to families, and it could be really low-level issues, I would constantly think that, please don't listen to me, your children are just going to die. Alexandra eventually quit her job in February 2021. And she's here now doing this interview for a simple reason. She doesn't want this to happen again. Alexandra can only speak within strict legal limits, and I get the sense she's nervous. When she first met Carrie ann she was working in Logan, south of Brisbane. It's a diverse area with a lot of demand from people facing significant hardship. So usually working with quite severe mental health, significant domestic violence, chronic drug use. She relished the challenge and enjoyed making a difference in people's lives. What I really liked about it is that it was on such a strong personal level, you can really understand what their challenges are and work with them to find the best way to address these challenges. All the demand for services meant that for a child safety officer, Logan was also a high risk area and staff were stretched too thin. Alexandra says she had a caseload of up to 22 children. A commission of inquiry had earlier recommended that officers have no more than 15. With the type of work that you're trying to achieve with these families, it makes it virtually impossible to complete your tasks within the role of a child safety officer. And if you're not addressing those constant high needs, um, it's putting them at a greater risk of harm. If she hadn't been so overloaded, 
she says Darcy and Chloe might still be alive. With a lower caseload, I could have had more time to actively work with Carrie Ann more intensely and really get to the bottom of the issues that she was facing, which could have prevented the death of Darcy and Chloe. It makes me feel... It... Sorry. It makes me feel upset that I didn't have that time to devote to the family. And it also makes me angry because it's not taken seriously enough to support child safety officers within that space, within those caseloads. Alexandra was part of the team that decided to close Carrie Ann's case back in July 2018. At the time, Carrie Ann was on what's called an intervention with parental agreement. It's like a voluntary contract between Carrie Ann and the child safety officers. Carrie Ann stuck with it for a while, but in mid 2018, she withdrew her consent. A decision had to be made. Should Darcy be removed from Carrie Ann, or should the department close the case? Alexandra and a team of managers from the child safety department met up to discuss. It is a very intense process and these consults can go for hours and you go over the whole case from start to finish and we looked over all our work and deemed that it was appropriate to close at the time. This decision, however, was later criticised. After the girls died, an investigation by the Queensland Family and Child Commission found that goals set down in Carrie Ann's case plan weren't achieved and the case should never have been closed. This is the first time any details from this investigation have been made public. Looking back now, do you think that the case should have been closed? This is a difficult one because at the time we did feel confident to close that case with those potential risks that you have to hold in these voluntary family situations. However, in hindsight, I wish that I had more time with the family to be able to address these issues properly. Once the case was closed, Carrie ann was referred on to a support service, but there was no obligation for her to work with them. As she was closing the case, Alexandra made sure to document that ongoing risks remained. So without going into um, too much detail, as I can't, I did hold concerns if Carrie ann did not continue to receive that support that she needed. So the consequences when closing these cases are always, there's always a potential of death of children that you need to be aware of. The investigation by the Commission also made another extraordinary finding. While Alexandra was weighing up whether to close the case, she wasn't privy to critical information. When Child Safety had contacted the Queensland Police Service about Carrie Ann, it had failed to share reports it had received about her drug use and alleged drug dealing. Alexandra's hearing this for the first time. I didn't know that was that happened. That information is certainly critical information that could have been put forward to us to be able to make a more robust assessment. I can't say if that assessment would have been different, but it definitely would have 
provided us with that critical information to make a more informal assessment. I also tell Alexandra the family had made multiple reports to the department since Carrie Ann's case had closed. And I tell her specifically about that chilling message Carrie Ann sent to Peter, admitting she'd left Chloe in the car for hours. So, with that information, I believe that the children should have been removed from that household where that was happening. Alexandra believes a commission of inquiry is needed to examine the failings within the department. People just, they, they feel stuck and I always felt stuck. So something bigger needs to happen to address the issues. And she hears that three years on, the problems still haven't been fixed. Workloads are still unmanageable and she's worried families are falling through the cracks. Working under those caseloads, I just know how hard it was and I just want to see change for the people that I know that still work for the department and for the future of our children's safety. Perhaps the most devastating failure by child safety occurred in the final three weeks of the girls' lives. Peter, his mother Deanne and sister Kelly were all reporting concerns about Darcy and Chloe. A doctor at Logan Hospital Emergency even told the department about concerns that Darcy had been exposed to methamphetamines at her mother's house. But those warnings were all being dismissed. And according to the commission investigation, the Child Safety Department thought it was all part of a custody dispute and they questioned Peter's motives. I tell Peter what I discovered. The first one is, uh, and probably the most upsetting, is the um, reports that you made to intake and assessment. They were considered as unreliable because they viewed it as a custody dispute. And the investigators found that the focus should have been on the safety of the girls, regardless of the motivation of who's making the report. Mm-hmm. Can you stop that? Peter asks me to stop recording. While the recorder's off, I lay it out for him. I tell him about what was going on inside child safety and the fact that they didn't take his complaint seriously. Peter buries his head in his hand. He agrees to let me switch the recorder back on. Well, I think someone's got a lot of questions to answer for. That's another big pill to swallow. Yeah, you know, you're ringing people that are supposed to help in the prevention of what happened and automatically they've believed whatever source they've heard from. And not all dads are bad. I tried. I really did try. So all the proof that I proved was discredited. Yeah. <laughs> Far out. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, okay. Peter also says a wider public inquiry is needed because the situation is desperate. A recent report found that 69 children known to the Queensland Child Protection System died in the year to June 2022. 
55 of those deaths have been investigated by the state's Child Death Review Board. Three were due to fatal assault or neglect, with 10 children dying in similar circumstances the year before. It should be done by an outside entity, um, you know, like a Royal Commission, something like that. Um, and, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, stuff-ups are bound to happen. I mean, we're, we're all human. But to write someone off the way I was, yeah, that's unfair. We put what we discovered to the Department of Child Safety. It said it would not be appropriate to comment ahead of a possible appeal or potential review by the coroner. It's the 16th of February, 2023, and Peter's sitting in the public gallery of a courtroom in Brisbane. Kerri-Ann's charges have been downgraded from murder to manslaughter, and she's sitting in the dock awaiting sentencing after pleading guilty earlier in the week. She's been in prison on remand since the day her daughters died. Peter is flanked by his family, and they are all anxiously waiting to hear from the judge. And it's been a long wait, more than three years to get to this moment. Supreme Court Judge Justice Applegarth is scathing in his remarks about Kerri-Ann's conduct. This isn't his voice, it's read by an actor. You inexcusably left them in the car in which you returned to your home at about 4.10am. You went inside without them because, as you later explained, you did not want to wake them and then have the trouble of putting them back to sleep. They were strapped in their car seats. The car doors and windows were closed. The car was parked in the front yard. It was not under any cover. So your first grossly negligent conduct was in deciding to leave your children in that vulnerable place, uncared for, unheard and unobserved in the dark. The sun had risen by 5am and the car was in direct sunlight. Did you check on your children after daybreak to see if they were asleep, crying or distressed? You did not. Instead, you were active on your mobile phone until 5.55am. After almost an hour and a half, Justice Applegarth finally reads out his sentence. On count one, you are sentenced to a term of imprisonment of nine years. On count two, you are sentenced to a concurrent term of imprisonment of nine years. Kerri-Ann will be eligible for parole in November next year. Peter storms out of the courtroom. He blows off steam in the hallways. Yeah, okay. We catch up outside, leaning against the giant pillars of the Supreme Court building in Brisbane, after he's had some time to calm down. But I was hoping for more than what she got, but it is what it is, and I can't argue with what the judge says. His words, final word. So, just got to accept it. The way Peter sees it, there's only one acceptable jail term for Kerri-Ann's crime. Yeah, life. Life for a life. And in, in this instance, she took two. So stays there until the day she dies. You know, she wasn't just her that was in the bathroom that day. You know, there was two of us in there. Kind of feel like I got a jail sentence in that way as well. Um, not with just the burden, but, you know, the... The dreams, like, oh, I'm stuck on that day. I'm stuck in that bathroom. Um.
I've been investigating this story for two and a half years now, and in that time, I've had a lot of contact with Darcy and Chloe's family. In 2020, Peter and his daughter Kerry let me join them on a very important day, the one-year anniversary of Chloe and Darcy's deaths. I've been up since one. <laughs> um, it's going to be a long day. And so far, I've had <clears throat> phone calls, messages, um, really just kind of looking forward to the end of the day. Just so I'm, I'm past it. We're in the car, driving to Mount Cotton Crematorium and Cemetery. Peter's behind the wheel. The car pulls up and we all get out. We're in the children's section. It's hot, as hot as it was on this day last year. We've just arrived at the Mount Cotton Crematorium in Peter's uh, white Chrysler. It's a, a car that he would call Darcy's limo because she loved that car. I can see Peter having a bit of a moment by himself, standing in front of a beautiful gravestone with little cherubs and angels. Peter still has Darcy and Chloe's ashes at home. He's been thinking about bringing them here to the same place where they had their funeral, but he's not ready. He can't quite bring himself to let them go. Like like any any kid that leaves home, you, know, you always worry, you know, regardless of whether they're they're alive or not. Um, yeah. But you know, in time, I'll I'll push myself out of that comfort zone and. Finally, you know, put them at rest. They deserve that. Um, and I couldn't think of a better place than here amongst all these other kids. Being here and know that when they are here, when I do put them here, that oh, they've got all these other kids to play with. <laughs> um, safe. Background briefing sound producers are Lila Schunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Simon Branthwaite. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. The executive producer is Fanu Falali. And I'm Alexandra Blucher. You can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Look after yourself and thank you for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.